Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. Saddle up for action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code RTFP. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. 18 plus 21 plus in certain states to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligible restrictions apply. Voidware prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Wisdom Wednesday presented by DraftKings. The wisdom today Coming from the great Mike Golick. I guess I have to say Mike Golick Sr. since Mike Golick Jr. was on the show a few weeks ago. I think I told the story on the show about meeting Mike when I was 11 or 12 at Kutztown University in a charity basketball game that was absolutely awesome and very cool for me to be on the broadcast of that Bucks rams game with him a couple weeks ago. So we'll get to that momentarily we're only two days away from more winners you know we love to spread the word winners at ross tucker nfl at ross tucker pod looking for some new facebook share folks love seeing people spread the word via social media sponsor confirmation email winner we will announce on friday as well take advantage of any of our sponsors we got a lot of good ones this week athletic greens DraftKings, 100 flowers linkedin And then the YouTube shout-out, which is cool. We are growing on YouTube. You look at the views, we are growing. You guys are doing it. YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL just recorded uh, a shout-out video for Frederick Chino, who won a couple weeks ago for his wife. So the shout-outs are real. It is Big Show time. The Big Show. I would say the man needs no introduction, and I'm sure that's true, but, you know, you never know. There might be some people that don't know about Mike Golick and all the years he spent as a defensive lineman in the NFL, including the majority of his career on the Eagles defensive line in my absolute heyday as a fan, when I would alternate between the Randall Cunningham jersey and the Reggie White jersey, Sorry, Mike, I did not have a, a Mike Golick jersey. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You and uh, millions of other people did not have a Mike Golick jersey. <laughs> I, listen, at times I was just happy to have a Mike Golick jersey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what's funny, Mike? I don't know if I ever told the story before. I think when I was playing, I, I don't know, you get some money if somebody buys one of your jerseys, right? Right, yeah. I think it only ever happened twice where someone other than a family member actually, like, you know, you could order it. And so I remember one time I got a check from like East Bay or some magazine for like a dollar and 27 cents. I'm like, oh, 
that must be where those two people or that guy got the uh, the Ross Tucker jersey. Yeah, you find out where you rank as far as jersey sales are concerned, <laughs> uh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to know uh, the amount. I, I don't know if I ever, quite honestly, I don't know if I ever got a check for that. My wife would have to tell me, and she'd probably tell me no. But I enjoyed the story when we worked together that uh, that you were, well, I think, what, in fifth grade as a fan of our traveling basketball team and ended up ball boy for us and play a little bit. Uh, while I thought that was a very nice story and everybody did, or others did, I thought it was a story about you telling me how old I was. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's what I took out of it, the age. I'm like, because I always get it. I meet these adults in full beard and mustache or whatever, and I hear them say, man, I used to listen to you when I had a paper route or something like that. I'm like, oh, my God, am I old? <laughs> so people, I think most people know, uh, Mike was at ESPN Forever, host of, probably the most well-known sports talk national morning show there's ever been. I think by far, Mike and Mike uh, with Mike Greenberg for a long time at ESPN, which I think is a question. I know the answer to this, Mike, because I talked to you a couple weeks ago. But for people that uh, might be curious, I know you're doing a bunch of different things. Can you fill them in on some of the different things you're doing? Well, I, you know, I was doing, geez, 6 to 10 in the morning with Tony Bruno and then Mike Greenberg and then Trey Wingo and my son for 23, 24 years. Uh, and then before that, I was in Arizona doing local radio for a couple of years in the morning while I did some ESPN games. So I had been used to getting up at 4.15 for about a quarter of a, of, of, a, of a century. And that's all I was used to. You know, maybe I would do some studio and I would call games on the on, on the weekend. So now all of a sudden I didn't have that show anymore. So I think I bit off a little more than I could chew this year just because I wanted to see what I wanted to do. So I did uh, um, with Learfield, myself and Kate Scott did college football game of the week every Saturday night. And then I did a bunch of where we cross pass, a bunch of games for Westwood one. Uh, so I, at times I was doing two games a week. That would go along with two podcasts, one for Westwood One and one for Learfield. And then I did Monday mornings with Mike Florio on PFT Live on Peacock uh, every Monday, which I, I'm, I'm kind of still doing through the Super Bowl, uh, you know, through through the offseason as well, I should say. So I'm, I've been doing a lot. So I'll decide which direction I want to go next year. I'll probably still involve calling games because I really, really love doing that. It's the best. It, 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 it's the best. I, I got to tell you. Um, I, I never talked about this on the show. I think I like studio television the least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I like calling a game the most because the energy and the unknown. And then in the middle would be like doing a radio show, be, especially if you've got callers. But even just it's kind of it can be new every day with the topics. And if you've got callers or interaction, you never know what they're going to say. I never really liked sort of the um, scripted nature of studio television. Oh, studio is the least favorite to me, too. And I did that for years. It's, it's NFL Live now at ESPN, but it used to be when it started, it was NFL Tonight. And it was Mark Malone was the host, and it was me, Sean Salisbury, and Merrill Hodge were the three analysts. And this, this is what started what NFL Live is today. Uh, and while it was fun to do because it was new at that point, and I did that for years as well as – calling college I, I like that the least as well because what happens is you know you get you had that that meeting beforehand you you, you know what you're going to talk about and you basically have that one shot on you where you get 45 seconds to talk about the topic you want to talk about you may have five good points but can only get in two 
maybe three because of the time. So it's a little more tougher. It's not as conversational as obviously radio is or calling a game. So that would be third on my list as well. So, Mike, you're going to be on the sideline uh, for the Super Bowl, which is very cool. And I know you're on the sideline for that awesome Bucks rams game we did. You know, I, I do it a lot, so I guess I'm kind of used to it. When's the last time you were on a sideline, and what can you tell my listeners and viewers about what that experience was like? Last time I was on a sideline was when we worked together. That was my first time on a sideline. <laughs> I, I had never done it. You know, they approached me and said, listen, you know, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner are, are going to be in the booth. And I was in the booth all year doing Westwood One games. And they said, do you want it for the Super Bowl? Do the sideline. Be like a, not like a normal sideline person having the stories and stuff, but be like a sideline analyst like you have been doing, you know, and, and actually be an analyst on the field. And I said, yeah, sure. What the hell? I'll, I'll do that. I mean, for the Super Bowl, I've never gone to a Super Bowl, Ross. I always left them for 23 years at ESPN. We went to the Super Bowl every year to do our shows. And I left on Saturday or Sunday morning. I never wanted to stay for the Super Bowl. I was always jealous of those guys because I never got close to it in nine years I was in the league. So I'm like, I'm not going. Well, now the first time I'm going, I get to work it. So, yeah, that was my first time. That's why I was asking you so many questions because you have done, again, analyst sideline. Not It's not the normal sideline people think of. So that's why I was picking your brain a lot about kind of the information needed down there because I'm used to having a board and preparing for a game you know, a full game where you're talking every play as opposed to talking maybe eight to 10 times on a 30-second clip. So obviously everything comes down a little bit. So I'm excited to do it. I appreciate the information, you know, you gave me to help me so I wasn't overloaded down there. Uh, and I'm, I, listen, I'm looking forward to it. I, I Basically, I just say I'm down there on the field. I'm going to try and call a game. And when they let me on air, I'll, I'll try not to suck. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny, my wife could never really understand why I never wanted to go to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I was one of my first experience to be playing in it. And so, like everybody does, I sold my Super Bowl tickets every year or whatever. Illegally, because um, we always had to sign that. Did you have to sign that piece of paper that said you won't sell your, your tickets? And then the first thing we did was sell them. You know what? I don't remember signing something that said that. I'm, I'm sure I did. If you did, I'm sure that oh, you discontinued you had that. To. Well, see, when I was playing, when I first got in the league, tickets were like 75 bucks each. You know, when I left the league, they were probably three, three fifty. We would literally sign a piece of paper when we got our tickets, and we would go back to the locker room, and there would be players in the locker room with briefcases full of cash that other people gave them to buy up as many tickets as they could. Now, like my future son-in-law, uh, Ben Broniker, uh, who played for the Bears for four years, he for the way it worked, I guess, now is you actually have to fly to the city of the Super Bowl and physically pick up your tickets there. And then, I guess, you know, do whatever you're I, – I, I still don't think you can sell them, but they make you go to the city to pick up the tickets. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Um, what are your initial thoughts – Mike, on the Super Bowl. Well, Bengals, you know, Rams, a couple well, of four seeds. Probably not who you thought it would be when you told Westwood one you'd be on the sideline. No, absolutely not. Um, I, I probably think of our two positions, you being an O-lineman and me being a D-lineman. You know, what everybody's going to do matchups, you know, wide receivers, DBs, running backs, you know, linebackers, tight ends, safeties, whatever, right? But the, the biggest 
mismatch on paper, and I would I would wonder if you would agree, would would be the Bengals offensive line pass protection against the pass rush of the Rams. So the Rams finished the regular season with 50 sacks, right? You got Leonard Floyd, you got Aaron Donald, you got Von Miller, and a Cincinnati team. This stat blew my mind is Joe Burrow is the first quarterback to make it to the Super Bowl while being sacked the most in the NFL regular season. There were three quarterbacks who made it to championship games. Mark Brunel with the Jags, Jay Cutler with Chicago, and I think it was Alex Smith with uh, the the 49ers. They all made their championship game in the conference being sacked most in the regular season. Nobody made it to the Super Bowl. Burrow's the first one. He's been getting a snot knocked out of him. I think he's been sacked 12 times in the playoffs, nine by Tennessee, but they keep winning. So to me, that's the matchup, which a lot of times decides games, but there's so many big names in this. I look to that and wonder, me as a D lineman, I, you know, I just had a conversation with Dwight, Dwight Freeney, who was a great pass rusher, on how he and his, his D line mates would be licking their chops saying we need to be a big part of this win. I'm wondering as an offensive lineman how that Cincinnati O-line, listen, it ain't rocket science to say they have not been good, is now going to deal with that pass rush. Yeah, you know, I thought they played a little bit better against the Chiefs. And I thought they only won sack, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the biggest differences between the Bengals game against the Titans and Bengals against the Chiefs is – Against the Titans, I thought Joe Burrow took two or three sacks that he should not have taken. Bad sacks that were on the quarterback, in my mind. Against the Chiefs, Mike, he actually avoided two or three that should have been sacks, and somehow Burrow made a miss. So it was almost like a five- or six-sack swing between those two games that was primarily Burrow. I mean, two or three he took that he shouldn't have, and then this game against the Chiefs, two or three he got out of that probably should have been sacks. Yeah, listen, and, and that's and that's a thing too. How much Burrow has to avoid? He's done a good job, you, and, and it's something you'd rather your quarterback not have to do is say, "Okay, I need to avoid the rush before I can throw a pass downfield." The one thing that helps them, and I think one of the ways they're able to get around the fact that he's the first after being sacked the most is they have so many weapons, right? I mean, we all know of Jamar Chase, obviously, but Boyd and Higby. Higby was huge in the championship game, mixing out of the backfield. So and Yuzama, and we'll have to wait and see about him. I know it was an MCL sprain, and I, you know, you don't know. Just like with the Rams, Tyler Higby, their tight end left their the championship game as well. So we'll see about those two. But I think that's what helps him the most is he has ways to get rid of the ball. It's not even though Jamar Chase had the year he had, he has other great receivers on that team as well. Mike, what's the biggest difference or differences you see from when you played? late 80s, 90s to now? Probably, obviously, it's more of a passing game. There's more motion going on. There's more chess match. There's more disguise. You know, when I played for Buddy Ryan, we basically lined up and said, we're going to beat you with what we have. Do whatever you want, but we're going, we're going to beat you with our personnel. You know, and, and, and I think that has changed over time a bit with the fact that, you know, now you see motion to figure out coverage you know, to give the, the, the quarterback a better idea of what's going on. You see so many more substitutions in today's game, more specialists in this or in that. Um, so I, I think the game has become more of a chess match in the fact of, okay, matching this personnel and that personnel. And then on defense, how well can you disguise something? Can you disguise it? How, how veteran are you on a defense 
I'll take my side of the ball where you've played together, where you know you'll end up in the right spot at the snap, but taking a chance to be not in the right spot at the snap to not give a quarterback a pre-snap read. So, you know, for everybody understanding, the quarterback gets that pre-snap read, knows it's probably going to change, and then within a second to a second and a half, the quarterback has to assess what the defense actually is after the snap. So how long can you stay in your disguise? Can you fool the quarterback? You know, are you going to be able to do that? So I think there's a lot more of that in today's game than there was when I played. So two more things I want to get to with you, Mike. Uh, The two biggest topics from yesterday. One is Tom Brady officially retiring. And the one thing I thought about was, you know, your show that you did for so many years. It's kind of strange to have a debate where there is no debate, right? Like, is I don't even think there's anybody left that would try to argue that Brady's not the greatest ever. You really almost would have to have the debate between Brady and others and other guys yeah. in other sports. Yeah, listen, there are some that will say, you know how it goes. Uh, I have one game. Do I want Brady as my quarterback or somebody else? Uh, last two minutes of a game. Do I want Brady as my quarterback or somebody else? That That's never going to go away. You're never going to get 100% agreement on that. But there's no doubt about the accomplishment because because what people will say is look at the first few Super Bowls that they won. They were more a defensive-led Patriot team than an offensive-led team. But you also look at the fact that how many, how many Hall of Famers did Brady play with? He played with Randy Moss for one year, who's obviously that. And then Gronk will be a Hall of Famer. He played with him for a lot of years. So Brady made you a lot better with how smart. Because he was a pocket quarterback, the ability, the mental side of the game of knowing defenses and picking things up is just absolutely off the charts. So I agree with you. The, the bigger question is compare him to the other greats in the other sports. And, and where does that fall in line? You know, a lot of people will say Michael Jordan. And I'm one of those. I, listen, I've said this for years. I think basketball players are the best athletes in the world. And they have to do the most on the court, right? A pitcher can only pitch. A pitcher doesn't field or bat. A quarterback, quarterbacks, he doesn't play defense or special teams. A basketball player has to play offense, defense, everything. They're on the, they're on the court the most. And they have the, I think they can have the most to dictate the outcome of the game. So that's why I lean to basketball a little more. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing right now what people are going to be doing on their talk shows. Because I agree with you. I think the, the argument is more of Brady and other greats from other sports. Last thing, uh, Mike, kind of a bombshell yesterday. I know he's making some media appearances while we're recording this this morning. Brian Flores most recently let go as the Dolphins head coach. He's had a bunch of interviews. He's filed a a pretty notable lawsuit against the NFL uh, over hiring practices and, you know, Stephen Ross reportedly offering him money to lose games I'm going to give you a blank slate on this one, Mike. What was just your reaction to that news? Well, my reaction is nothing has changed. I mean, it's the I know they they have the the Rooney Rule, which you know was was put in to try and help minorities get hired, but it's a joke. I mean, it's a joke. It, there's no mandate, and they can't mandate. So this this is not a Roger Goodell league issue. This is ownership issue. Over the last 100 years, I think there's been 115 petitioned owners or partial owners, and they've basically been all white. So, so, you know, this the owners hire the coaches. So anybody that says the league should step in, the league can't step in. The league can make their rule, and as long as a team follows their rule of 
interviewing a minority, they've satisfied the Rooney rule and they can hire whoever they want. So this isn't going to change until we can sit here and say the attitude of the old white owner but is, is it going to, are they going to change or is it going to be in, we have to wait until they're gone and somebody younger in the family uh, takes over or somebody new like the Broncos are going to be for sale. Who owns that team? This is on the owners. It's embarrassing. You know, you look at, um, I think it was since the sixties, the, the uh, there have been 15 or, or a number of white coaches are that got third chances. A black coach has never got a third chance. We keep seeing the retreads. A black, black coach doesn't get another opportunity. That's on those that are hiring. So I, I've read more than a few that, that the lawsuit may not have a lot of legs. I wish it would because as long as teams are following the Rooney rule, then they're, they're not going to get in trouble, right? Because we've interviewed a minority, but we decided to hire this white coach over here. So I don't know what the answer is. Well, I do know what the answer is, is these old white owners, you know, need to get the hell out of the way or change their attitude. And do we really think these old white owners who are owning billion-dollar businesses, the Broncos are going to sell for $4 billion. Do we think all of a sudden they're going to change their attitude and hire somebody that doesn't look like them or doesn't talk like them? I mean, you know, Shad Khan talked about when he was going to was trying to buy the Rams, he was told, oh, man, you're not going to get approved. You know, you're you're not white. And he ended up owning Jacksonville. And he his line was the NFL is on the forefront. Well, an owner is going to say that there's there, there, no chance they're on the forefront. They're so behind. What, in 2011, there were eight African-American head coaches, minority head coaches. Now there's one. You're going in the wrong direction. And it's not going to change until those owners either change their attitude or change in the fact that they're not owning that their family is or somebody else is owning it to make those decisions. And as far, let me tell you what, as far as not now, Hugh Jackson has come out and said when he was in Cleveland, he and management were offered bonuses if they lost it. He said he has the proof to prove every word of it. Let me tell you what, that is something that the league and Roger Goodell can be part of. If that, in fact, is true, Ross, that you are talking about the integrity of the game. We hear fans say it all the time. I know way too many Jet fans who say, oh, let's lose at the end so we get a better pick. That's fine if you're a fan and have no, no skin in the outcome. If you're an owner offering your management team or your coach more money to lose a game, let me tell you what, the hammer has to drop so hard on them. So, and I don't know where, whether take their ownership away, whatever you are, you are getting to the, the, the integrity of the game to pay your people you've hired to lose. And as we've always, I'm sure you've said this, players don't get into that crap. They want to play to win and coaches do as well. But I mean, just the thought that what's to say an owner can't say, if you don't start losing some games, you're fired, you know, that your job's on the line. That, man, the hammer has got to drop hard. So that, I'll say quickly, that is something the league can jump in on. As far as the Rooney rule, it's embarrassing, embarrassing. And it's all on the owners. They're the ones that have to look in the mirror. And they've been looking in the mirror for years. And you know what they've been seeing? They've been seeing their color. Check him out on social media so that you know everything Mike is up to. It's at Golick on Twitter. It's a great way to know he's doing Super Bowl, the other stuff he's doing. Mike, really appreciate uh, what you were like 30 years ago at Kutztown <laughs> University. Really appreciate the beer. 
uh, 10 days ago. And thank you so much for coming on the show. You got it, Ross. I'll see you, man. There he is, Mike Golick. Awesome, awesome stuff. I got a lot to say. By the way, it was really cool to hear how many of you said that Mike is, uh, you know, one of your favorite guys along with me. I, I look at that as an honor for sure. Speaking of honor, we are fortunate to be able to get gifts for our significant others for Valentine's Day. And right now, 1-800-Flowers has an amazing offer for my listeners. Get the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. This is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. Look, no matter what else you might be thinking for whoever for Valentine's Day, they always still want flowers. There's just something about it. To order the 18-stem Enchanted Rose Medley for $39.99 or upgrade 24 red roses for $10 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code ROSS. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code ROSS. Hurry, this offer expires Friday. Ducks Takes. Hey, good morning, Ross. Uh, You and Mike touched on it, but any other thoughts from the bombshell of a lawsuit filed by Brian Flores yesterday? Yeah, I do. I want to, I think most of you probably have heard about it by now. I do think it's important to kind of lay out what's going on here. Um, He has filed a, a lawsuit, U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York against the Dolphins, the Broncos, the Giants, really the whole NFL. It's a class action lawsuit on behalf of all black head coach, offensive and defensive coordinators, quarterback coaches, GMs, and black candidates for those positions. Uh, He's got the text message from Bill Belichick informing him that uh, Brian Dable was going to be hired. He thought he was texting with Brian Dable before Flores even interviewed. Uh, The lawsuit uh, claims that He's been discriminating other black coaches for racial reasons. Um, he said he was offered $100,000 by Stephen Ross for every loss to Tank in 2019 for a better draft position. He said Stephen Ross wanted him to recruit a prominent quarterback who was under violation to another team, which is part of the tampering rules. And he said that the Denver Broncos conducted a sham interview with him. So a couple thoughts. The first thing I would say is any topic involving race is always so sensitive. And I think one of the things I would love to see us improve on as a society is get to the point where people are more willing to discuss these topics publicly. You know, I feel like anytime I talk about something like this, I'm always like a little nervous that I say something that offends somebody or bothers somebody. I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's the way it should be. I'm a big believer in open, frank, honest, safe conversations. And it just doesn't seem like we have enough of those. Some other thoughts, I actually wrote them down. I have a tremendous amount of respect for anyone that is willing to sacrifice their career for something they believe in 
like Brian Flores might be doing here, like Colin Kaepernick did. I would also say on some level, if it does end your career, you can't really complain about that. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting into, right? If you're going to make a lawsuit like this, it's going to make it tough for him to get hired. And I think he knows that. And I know Brian, he was with New England when I was there. And uh, But you just need to do that with your eyes open. The biggest news to me was the Stephen Ross $100,000 per loss incentive. If there's any evidence of that, if, if Brian Flores has any evidence of that, that is a major problem for the Dolphins, for Stephen Ross, and for the NFL. Major problem. And now Hugh Jackson saying that he has uh, evidence of what happened in Cleveland. Wow. Um, that's a real problem. That, that's the most noteworthy aspect of this to me because that's new. The Rooney Rule stuff, the – discriminatory hiring practices, you know, I feel like we have that conversation every year. Um, I think the Belichick texts are a problem. I don't know any of the legal stuff, uh, but I am curious how much of one since he doesn't really work in the Giants organization. You know, he's not there. So how is it a problem for the Giants if somebody outside of the Giants? I will say this too. Everybody has favorites when they're going into an interview process. I was on the Princeton hiring committee and I went in with an open mind, but there were certainly a couple guys that I was thinking, oh, that's going to be my guy. And other guys, there was a guy I thought might be my guy. He was terrible. He was the worst one we interviewed. There's another guy I never heard of that was maybe one of the best two or three guys we interviewed. So I just wanted to make that point that I think, you know, the Steelers, Russ Grimm was going to be their guy. And I could see text messages going out. Yeah, Russ Grimm's our guy. And then Mike Tomlin just blew him away. Mike Tomlin blew them away and changed their mind. So I don't know. I I, I don't know enough about the legalese on those text messages. I would also say I would be incredibly frustrated at the lack of black head coaches if I was a black coach. Incredibly frustrated. Frustrated. My issue, though, is I never really hear a whole lot of good solutions. You know, I never hear what the answer is. What what, what is the solution? What's going to solve it? I actually think what the NFL did with incentivizing teams to promote minorities to sort of next step positions, you know, like assistant GM or quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, so that they get head coaching jobs or they get GM jobs. You know, like the Chiefs and the Browns are both getting two third-round picks because Poles and and Quezzi both got the GM jobs in Chicago and, and uh, Minnesota. So I thought the NFL did a good job. I think that's the best way to do it is to get a better pipeline of qualified, talented candidates – by incentivizing teams to build those pipelines. Because the thing I always come back to, Bri, is, you know, the Cowboys signed Greg Hardy. The Bengals drafted Joe Mixon. The Dolphins are trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. You know, these teams are willing to do whatever it takes to win. I, I think the problem is 
when they interview, they think, right or wrong, that the white candidate gives them a better chance to win. If they thought a, a five-year-old girl could give that could win the Super Bowl for them, that's who they would hire. Or a 110-year-old man. I'm, I'm just trying to do extremes here, but my point is I really think these owners are so desperate to win, they would hire anybody or anything or anyone that they thought could help them win. The issue is when they interview them, they think that the white candidates give them a better chance to win. I don't know how to fix that. You know, like other than Flores and these other coaches probably getting a ton of money in some lawsuit settlement, what change will it really implement? Like, I, I don't know. Somebody, look, you guys can tweet me, email me. I, I would love to hear what what they could actually change, what, what they could actually fix. Ducks takes. Moving on to some coaching news. Bills hiring quarterback coach Ken Dorsey is their OC. Packers parting way with special teams coordinator Stan Drayton. Dorsey, uh, I thought maybe he'd go to New York to be with Dayball. Instead, uh, smart to stay with Josh Allen there in Buffalo. As for Stan Drayton, I mean, the Packers special teams are so dreadful. I don't, you know, they, they, they had no other choice. Ducks takes. And a couple other notes. Former quarterback Caleb Williams from Oklahoma transferred to USC to be with Lincoln Riley. The NFL announced they're investing $1 million to look into cannabinoids for pain management. The Denver Broncos are officially for sale. And the Washington Commanders. Right. Caleb Williams, I mean, man, Lincoln Riley really gutted Oklahoma when he left. Wow. You know, it really makes coaches even more valuable with the transfer portal rules if they can bring guys like that with them. That's a big news. The NFL looking into can uh, cannabinoids um, for pain management. Broncos for sale, supposedly going to be $4 billion something, and there's no shortage of people lining up to pay that to get them. And I think the commander's name is probably – I think it's what PFT commenter predicted last week, uh, Bry. I think it's a fine name. It's just, to me, sort of generic, disappointing. Is it a safe name? Is that why? It's a safe name. It's disappointing. It's like the Cleveland Indians going to the Guardians. I mean, these names all sound like XFL to me. Commanders, Guardians. I don't know. I – I really wanted warthogs, red hogs, would have taken groundhogs. I, I don't know. I really wanted the hogs. I thought that would have been awesome as a former player in that organization. But nobody asked me. Shout outs. Pizza Boy Brewing, Sportaculture, Vision Comics with an X, HumanHeadNYC.com, and SteakhouseSports.com. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mentioned DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. you got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 109WITHIT. By the way, if what I was talking about included a deposit bonus, it doesn't always, sometimes it does, 
Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, and deposit bonuses are paid out in site credit. 